The sales robots have taken over, and they're decimating deals left and right, destroying them right in their tracks. On the AI for Sales podcast, our mission is to empower everyday sellers to embrace AI superpowers to build new bridges and crush quota. Dr. Joel Abon said it best in the AI for Sales book, in sales, time kills deals. In AI for Sales, AI kills time. Join our hosts as we learn from the C-suite of the world's fastest growing companies about how you can leverage AI today to transform your sales revenue engine while being the best version of you. Hey everybody, Chad Burmeister and I am your host of the AI for Sales podcast. Today I'm with a hot air balloonist, but he's also a technology CEO. So we're gonna talk about that. The platform's called Helium that it's on. It's called the Helium Chatbot. And the company is called thebotlab.io. They work with some of the biggest and most amazing companies in the world. And they've discovered a breakthrough like you'll be amazed at. So, Eliav, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Chad. Oh, this is going to be fun, man. The stuff that you're doing, chatbots have been around for a while. There's email technologies like Conversica and Exceed that was purchased for 20 million plus out of Israel. Like there's a lot of neat things going on, um, but this is this is advanced. And I got to tell you, in the last year, I haven't seen anything quite as cool as what you've done. So very excited to dig in. Thanks. We're going to leave people on a cliffhanger, though. I like to first get our audience to get to know you. You're into hot air ballooning and one of the 40 or 50 people in the world that actually does helium ballooning. Um, what was your passion when you were a kid? Like, how did you get to be the Eliav that you are today? You know, what led you to that? Yeah. So funny enough, as like a second grader, I got into juggling. So I used to like juggle as a kid, right? Start juggling, you know, stealing my mom's knives as like a 12-year-old, you know, trying to break the tips off so I could juggle knives and fire and stuff. And I uh, got into, I became a professional magician and juggler as like a 17 year old and became a performer. And you know, out of that, you kind of learn about rejection and you learn about sales and you learn about, you know, how do you convert people? And, uh, and then uh, I got very lucky where I wanna, I was involved with a, a company where I was selling educational books door to door you know, working 80 hours a week, meeting thousands of families, selling educational books. And the CEO said, hey, there's a sales contest. If you're in the top 10 of 3,000 people, you can come hot air ballooning with me. And I was like, done. So I worked real hard, got to go hot air ballooning with Henry, went to 10,000 feet in his balloon in the pitch black in Nashville, Tennessee. And upon landing, we drank a 1997 Silver Oak, 100 point cab, 12 years aged. And I was like, Wow, I want your life. And uh, so I said, um, you know, why do you have a hot air balloon? And he basically told me, use it to acquire companies. And I was like, I'm sold. <laughs> I'll get a hot air balloon. So, uh, so recently where it all came full circle was uh, uh, one of my mentor, one of the people that I've always been excited about meeting who's a big hot air balloon pilot is Sir Richard Branson. And in December, I got to go to his private island to Necker and was part of an AI group of the top AI people in the world talking about how do we stop AI from destroying the world in the next six to 10 years based on AI's becoming unlimited, you know, computing power. And mainly I just talked to Branson about ballooning because it was awesome because he's a you know, hot air balloon pilot and had lots of fun chatting about ballooning. So wow, uh, now, we're, now we're here so and I was like, well, I... Yes. Company launched of this new cool stuff around chatbots, and now that's where we are. So it all kind of came full circle. 
Well, and that's what's neat about the chatbot technology is that your passion of of doing balloons. Um, you, what I heard you say is you you install the plugin of a chatbot and then you started using it for that purpose and then discovered the discovery that you found, which is oh, well, if I can do a chatbot on my own website, then why not catch the visitors on third-party websites while they're browsing and reading something of interest? Why can't I expose a chatbot to them at that place and time? And like that, that's very amazing. I have to believe, I mean, good marketers don't just talk about their product all the time. They're very good at putting content out, but then they lose the folks, right? Unless they drive them back to their website. Now you can get the best of both. You can actually have a salesperson or better yet, a, a solutions expert <laughs> yep. have a conversation with the prospect while they're on a third party site. Yeah, and if you want to imagine like what this really looks like, and I'm sure you can provide some links too for folks to check out some of the live sites. But if you can imagine like you are reading an article about a product on like Forbes magazine or your, or even a review site, right? Uh, comparing two products. Typically people just have one or two questions, right? Like, does it integrate with this? Does it do this? You know, you just have, you're basically self-qualifying yourself in or out. And so it's at that moment, if you can, at the highest moment of context, have a conversation, answer a question, book a meeting, you basically won. So I, I, I to take it back to ballooning, this is hilarious. So last summer, I land my balloon in a gated community. Okay, I, I fly in, in front of Mount Rainier. It's like in Seattle. It's really pretty. Fly over Lake Taps and there's this gated community I land in, right in the cul-de-sac. 250 people come out of their houses, right? There's kids, there's adults, everyone's excited. There's a freaking hot air balloon, right? And people start asking questions and we let them experience. We throw the kids in the balloon basket. They play with the burner. It's really fun. We booked 10 to 15 flights literally by answering people's questions. You know who didn't get their questions answered? The people outside of the gate. Yeah. That's like having a piece of sponsored content that you pay like, can we say like, 25, 10, 15, 20, 30, $50,000. And then they gated on the third party site to collect some information and block people from asking questions. I think it's hilarious. And then people yeah. do the same thing on their site. So I really, it's a, uh, that's really where I started to understand gated content of that it made no sense. It might as well just let people see the good stuff and interact, right? Wow. Well, I think of Ring Central. I ran a global inside yeah. SDR, BDR sales team of more than a hundred people, Philippines, San Francisco, all over the country. And we put in place a high fidelity, immediate response. Someone hits the site and we call them back in seconds. Yep. And we took the conversion rate from 8% to 18% in under 90 days. So the millions of dollars that was already being spent now converted at an 18% instead of an eight. It was just massive lift. And that helped us fund a BDR outbound team and do all sorts of other things. What we're talking about here reminds me of that because if you can put real-time interaction with the person at the place of the content interaction, I have to imagine we'll see the similar 200, 300% increase. Yeah, you know what's interesting though is that, so there's two things about it. One is like context is everything, right? Like if, if you're a marketer or whoever you are and you're like reading an article about something, 
typically the the content that's been created is specifically for your use case, right? And they're putting it on that site, knowing your use case, who the audience is, and that's why you're interested. When then you come to a website, right? Like let's say Rings Angel like does this like epic, awesome contextual article about a very specific thing and need, and I go, oh, that makes sense. And then I go to the site and it says different stuff, even yeah. if it's like a general landing page, or they get involved in a chat there yeah. in a generic sense. And the person goes, yes, we can help you with the $9.99 fax line. And it's like, no, yeah, no, no, like no. in your contact center solutions. Yeah, so it's if you can, so I call it uh, intent decay. That's mm. what I, I kind of came up with. I was like, if you're reading an article on a third-party site, no one, it's not first-party data yet, right? The, the company doesn't know who you are yet, right? So as you're, as you're reading it, as soon as you are off that article, even if you make it to the website, my belief or our belief and hypothesis is your intent actually drops because it's not as contextual on the site. Then the job is to get you back up to get yeah. you to a demo point, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And if it's contextual enough, there's really no reason to go to the actual site. Because you yeah. just, the whole goal is for the site just to book meetings anyway, right? Book meeting right there. So can your technology what I'm what I'm guessing is that the top two questions, like you mentioned before, and if you expand it to six or eight, that hits ninety eight point five percent of all possible questions. Does yeah. the chatbot have the capability to respond to the question, or does there have to be a human on the other end? Yeah, well, here's what's so beautiful about AI. And you know, my background, like I work with uh, I'm the super user on Drift. So it's the top kind of B2B AI chatbot or kind of coin the space, right? And there's a lot of different AIs that I use with different companies. Whatever backend chatbot someone has on their own site, if they built that out and they use an AI, they can use that same chatbot inside of our platform on a third party site. So mm -hmm. you can imagine however that company has set up their chatbot whether it's with using NLP, whether it's using real AI, whether it's even just using some contains or exact match keywords, sure, you can literally answer most questions. The only reason a chatbot should actually go to a live person is if the chatbot can't answer the question. So to give you an example of that, uh, even on the ballooning site, right, on Seattle ballooning, right, it has 2,500 keywords that answer every question about ballooning. So if you say, can my mom come? Can my can I bring my infant? Can I have sex on the balloon? You know, like regular questions people ask, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> surprisingly, like five times a week. But you know, when people ask those questions, no live person should be answering those. That's the value of a good chatbot. Now, for B two C, that's what it should do. On B two B, it should be: Does it integrate with this? Can it do these things? If you can answer that question, there's no reason to have a live person because it should understand the intent and then go to book a meeting. If it can't answer that question, then a live chat person should jump on. If they're not available, it should ask one or two qualifying questions, make sure they're qualified, and then book a meeting. So again, this still comes back to, does a chat bot suck yep. on your own site? And, and half the battle is like, is we built it, we're like, hey, even if someone sucks on their own site, Really, people have one or two qualifying questions to make sure that they're a qualified prospect that are the nice to that are the need to haves. We're not yeah. asking nice to have questions on chatbots. 
You ask those two qualifying questions and drop them book and meeting link. So here's what's interesting with the stats, Brad, or Chad, which is crazy. Hmm. So when we push this live for our own company to test this, like, hey, let's do an article on ourselves, right? And let's put this stuff out there. Surprising enough, because the article was good enough and it was B2B, very few people live chatted with us. But I had 13 meetings booked on the first Thursday we went live on martech.org. That's insane. So yeah. my hypothesis was people are going to want to chat. Depending on the context and how good your article is, people are just ready to book meetings. And so that's where it becomes interesting, whether it's B2C, it's B2B, how salespeople are involved. Um, it really comes down to content again, right? Well, I'm helping a company right now. We've launched a project called Project Tsunami. And what that means is there's so much PE money floating around out there and they want to acquire companies. There's 10,000 founders who are exiting their businesses every month yep. and they don't want to necessarily pass it to their children anymore <laughs> for obvious reasons. And so they have to find a suitor. What are they going to do? So we've been doing email, social outreach, and there's a lot of hits. I can envision writing a really cleanly placed article, putting it on a handful of entrepreneur website on all the right places. And then when those founders come in and ask the question, you know, what's the average check size or what do you, and then just flipping it to the tour. Cause I have eight qualification questions that I ask. There's right. probably really two or three that are the most important. So during that chat interaction, to your point, we would just want to ask the, you know, how fast are you growing? Um, what's your, what, what revenue did you do last year? And maybe how much funding had you gotten in the lifetime of the business? And, you know, I've talked to one this morning, 16 million in funding, and they're only doing $350,000 a year in revenue after 10 years. And I'm like, if I knew that I probably wouldn't involve a, a human on that conversation. Yeah, And that's where those qualifying questions, whether it's on someone's website or on a third party, it's really, it's called getting rid of the noise. So I just call it noise, right? It's like, Someone asks a random question. If you're on the New York Times and you have an article, you're going to get a bunch of random questions. You should probably have an AI that answers those questions, right? Yeah. If it's a niche, the more niche that article is into that group, when you're talking like, you know, whether it's a piece of sponsored content or it's an earned media article, being able to chat on that uh, and ask those two or three qualifying questions makes it then worth it. And that's where you still are using, you know, people think uh, chatbots are, you know, it should answer every question. Sometimes it's just qualifying, right? Just qualifying, like, are they a fit? Are you a fit? And both they're qualifying you and you're qualifying them. And if you can do that, it typically works pretty well. You know, Let me hear, share a hack from Marcus Sheridan, I believe is his name. He sells hot tubs online. So okay. you and him should talk because he, in 2008, he almost went out of business. He had to learn the hacks. Here's a big hack that if you haven't showed this to some of your customers, I think it'll amaze you. When you disqualify, if you can go and show the competitor at that point, the level of your credibility as the vendor goes through the roof, right? Because he would go and they sold these fiberglass hot um, pools that were only square. So if someone comes in and goes, hey, I want one that looks like a guitar, right. he's going to tell them, no, you should go call ABC Co. And he said that when he did that tiny little hack, his sales went up by 800% or more 
almost instantaneously because of the credibility. Oh yeah, look, sounds like you're not a good fit. If you're doing this live interactive chat, it'd be real easy to go, oh, this sounds like a competitor. And now they might come back and go, whoa, 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 wait, before you give me to a competitor, what if I could do a square pool or a rectangular pool that's eight feet deep instead of 10 feet deep in the deep end, right? And it, and it caused all these people to actually self-qualify and change their buying pattern by serving up a competitor. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of like way back in the day when I first started like online dating way back in the day. And I met my wife through, you know, OkCupid and I put what are called disqualifiers. Yes. You know, yeah. on my profile, I was like, you have to play Scrabble. You know, <laughs> you have to be at least this tall. I'm like, but always people like, well, I'm I'm really interested, but I'm only five three. And sorry, like you know, it was just kind of funny. It, it reminds me of that. But in sales, you know, we always call that a buying atmosphere, which is really like a true thing, right? Where it's, hey, if you like it, great. If not, no big deal. Whatever you decide is fine. You know, give me a big yes or a big no, right? Like I learned that back in my book selling days, knocking on doors eighty hours a week. It's really like if someone's not a fit, they all people always, you know, if you're willing to open up and just be be there to help someone, and that's really where you're coming from is just helping someone. Yeah, right. People right. always want to work with you for a variety of reasons. It's wild, you know, that's whether you're right. doing it. Karma is the real thing. So talk to me about. We talked about AI being embedded in Drift or one of the chat players. Um, is there, when you're embedding this code into a third-party website, is there a level of artificial intelligence that's embedded in your product as well? Or where does AI or automation play a role in? Yeah, in so, so the AI that, that we use is also figuring out where all those different pages should be that they should be putting this on. So, um, so that's the AI that we've been building out in order to figure out, great, if it's this company, where are all the paid places where they already are? Where are the places where um, maybe it's not an article specifically about them, but about the industry where we can get them in there, right? So you can imagine if there's just an article talking about, you know, let's say finance, right? And in the center of that article, you could chat with a Northwestern mutual rep and ask some questions. I'm pretty sure that's a pretty good lead source, right? But those are also expensive, right? When you think about it. So that's why it's really an ad unit in that sense. It's finding where are the most contextual places and then where are the other places where there's value, where it may, you know, you're kind of looking at like, hey, there's more general site versus real technical, you know, are very specific and contextual. But I think I find the same thing on people's own websites, right? Like mm-hmm. you have a pricing page. That's higher intent than a regular homepage that asking some contextual question is going to be a low interaction on a chatbot. But yeah. having something on a, on, a, on a blog post that's contextual and you're asking a contextual question related to that is going to higher engagement, right? So yeah. there's a wide variety, but that's where our AI fits in. But really where we're, where we're really excited is that we built this in a, in a scalable way for publishers. So it doesn't require, there's not a lot of overhead and work in order to get it implemented with, once there's one company, we can implement it with any company on that site without having to work directly with the publisher, which is beautiful. And so that's where it becomes fun in that sense, but we're using people's own AI systems that they built for their own chatbots in order to get better experiences, or we can just do a base like, here's two questions and book a meeting, you know, a live chat. Yeah, well, I could talk this kind of shop for 24 by seven. Um, One thing that I wanna make sure before we go is to, asked the question when you went to the island and 
and you talked about in six to 10 years, how do we make sure that the bots don't take over? Um, was there an outcome or a short list? You know, of you know there the most, uh, and there's a lot of stuff that I can't talk about because it was a, a pri private conversation with a lot of folks, but you know, there were a lot of guys from OpenAI there and DeepMind and a lot of government folks. Andrew Yang was there. He's a good friend of mine now. He's awesome. Um, I have a great photo. I would, of I would vote for him, by the way. He, hey, like, if you want to, in, in Portland, and, we're throwing a private event. If you want to come at the end of the month in April and you want to meet Andrew Yang, come hang out with me. Feel free. You can hit me up. and got my number. But um, anyway, the biggest thing that I found out was that uh, OpenAI and DeepMind, all these guys, really believe that the biggest issue is transparency. Mm -hmm. Because all these companies are creating, creating these incredible AI machines and it's in the way that they're connected and there's no bad actors. So to elaborate that on a little bit, it's a company will be trying to do good with their AI they build. And the AI is connected to satellites and it's connected to different systems and whatever else. And at some point the AI go, someone, the AI says, hey, I can save the company money or make the company more by doing this thing. And then they just like shut down shipping routes or they screwed the price away or there's all kinds of, and so it's all in how it's connected. And that's what came out of it is making sure that there's transparency with a third party that can look at all these companies with Meta and with you know IBM, with all, all these amazing AI systems and make sure that as they have unlimited computing power, right? that they can't make those decisions on their own. Because once that happens, we're screwed. Yeah, to avoid the unintended consequences, I have to look at the last couple of years of what's gone on in the world and what's going on right now. Mm -hmm. And I just scratch my head and say, hmm, I wonder if there's a black box AI involved. Now I'm positive there's a human in the loop on top of it making okay. the decisions. However, there's people that are being forced to look at it and make a decision to your point that says, hmm, if we do this, yeah, it's going to suck for some people, but it's going to overwhelmingly well, it's actually be amazing. larger than that. This is a, a conversation we could have for, for hours, but in, the, in a nutshell of the time we have, one of the most interesting conversations that I got to have was from a guy named Dakai. Dakai, if you look him up, he's a Berkeley, he's an AI guy, he's an incredible uh, professor, and he was talking about bias in the mm. way that in both all of the social companies, right? And their AIs all have a bias. And even when you search, it has a bias and your bias shows up different results for you versus someone else. So the question is, should that bias be transparent? Cause that's what is dividing because the goal of the social networks is to keep you on as much as possible. So they show you things that yes. you will interact with that are in agreement. So from a basic standpoint, if you were to ask the question, is the earth flat? Well, the question is, should it, what should it show you? Should it show a half, hey, here's not people who really believe the earth is flat. Here's science saying it isn't. Should it be a 50-50? Should it be 80-20? Should it be 100% the opposite? Wow. So it's, that's a whole nother world. And that divisiveness is actually all wrapped up in AIs around those biases. And so mm. you start to look at, well, why are those things being created? And then how do those AIs play a part in it in what their goal is. And again, that's why I say there aren't bad actors. It's people trying to do good and make a difference and it accidentally doing something unintended. And that's wow. where it all comes down to transparency. Wow. And there's some people doing incredible stuff around it, but 
you know, that's why Elon Musk is more concerned around AI than nukes, you know, is it is way more dangerous because once it's in and that happens, it's in every system. We will not be able to get out. So it's limiting those system accesses and creating really a 10 commandments for AI, what they're allowed to do and not do, which essentially if we're going to do that, well, it's pretty much creating a simulation. If you think about what Elon Musk says, he goes, we're already in a simulation. Well, now we're just creating a brand new set of principles, 10 commandments, new AI. It's we're the creators. It, it creates a whole nother weird world around simulation AI technology and what uh, of his beliefs around that become very fascinating when you start looking wow. at where that's sure. moving. You know? A new world. And to me, it has the possibility to really level playing fields and and do away with a lot of this, uh, the biases that, that have been out there over the generations, yeah. which is- And there's lots of positives. I mean, the positives are amazing. So it's really like AI can make an incredible difference in the world, right? Incredible wow. differences, you know, with pollution and climate change and, and, and all of these, you know, world impacts and hunger. Like a lot of these things can be solved with AI. It's just, right. will we accidentally screw up and that's what, you know, OpenAI and DMI, all these different folks are coming together to go, how do, and government's going, how do we make sure there's transparency and checks? Because, and that's the hard part with the companies, everyone wants to make money and it's like, great, let's make money, but let's not destroy accidentally. That's right. Yeah, so. Wow. Well, fascinating conversation. We started with putting smart chatbots on third-party websites so you can catch the person at the time they're reading about content, which is fabulous. There's a person that you need to talk to. Eric Lewis has every technology under the sun that is meaningful. And so he's got a little napkin that he carries in his pocket that shows everything. And so he was, I think he's probably still at Ring Central. Um, he would he would eat this up and and probably sell about three million dollars worth of your product in a very short period of time. So really fascinating. I think I, I you know I I'd love to meet Andrew Yang sometime. So uh, you know, it's I'll, very I'll good like, getting you know there. I'll uh, I'll send you a photo if you want to put it. it's uh, it's Andrew Yang photo bombing Richard Branson and I. It's a uh, it's a great photo. <laughs> but if you want to come out, we're gonna be. Uh, um, Andrew is also doing some really interesting stuff around NFTs and all kinds of stuff and how he's, you know, raising money around, you know, to make a difference in the world. But, um, uh, you know, we are doing this event in Portland. That'll be really, really fun. And there's a couple of events if you want, I'm happy to connect you over. Yeah. I think he should be, he's the one in my humble opinion that brings in the purple party that says, Hey, there's no more blue. There's no more red. There's purple. And we all need to get along. And he feels like the person that could actually I've never been inspired by a politician listening to him talk about what is happening here and what will likely occur and the goals around trying to make a difference of for what people want, not the party side. I mean, he, what inspired me was he, he goes, he was telling me, he goes, yeah, yeah. You know, I saw an article in the onion about like lobbying for something ridiculous. And he goes, why do we lobby for companies? Why don't we like lobby for earned income credit or lobby to get rid of like, gerrymandering in districts. Like, why don't we just do things that are important for people and people just started throwing in money. I, it was the first time I gave money to, to a lobbyist, political candidate, anything, because I was actually inspired. And that's why like, um, I'm excited. I don't think he's gonna run for president this time around, but in a, in a couple years down the road, I think that if he can really bring some of those central people together and flip them from the Senate into this party of really around the people and that's not right. so, you know, push to the sides, kind of like that AI bias and stuff is doing. 
it, uh, I think it would make a big difference for our world and for the United States. And so it's, uh, I was wildly impressed. And he's a hell of a wow. basketball player. So you know, <laughs> basketball. that's amazing. <laughs> well, Eliab, if people want to get a hold of you, they would obviously go to your website, thebotlab.io. Yeah, uh, or they can go other... to one of the pages that has an article about us and chat with us on there or book a meeting. <laughs> you know, it really doesn't matter wherever you can find us and you can book a meeting either way. So. That's right. I love it. Well, thank you so much for attending the AI for Sales podcast. I really appreciate you sharing all your thoughts today. What an amazing story. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much, Chad. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining. We'll catch you on the next AI for Sales podcast. Hey, you made it this far in your AI for Sales journey. Want to augment your sales growth? First, leave us a review and then visit www.scalex.ai to claim your free strategy session today.